Hi everyone, I'm Riley Blanks, your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a storytelling platform reimagining the everyday act of self-celebration for and by all women. This show brings you unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries who have developed personal success despite trauma and hardship by leaning into grit and discernment. We explore the messy interwoven realities of mental health, holistic wellness, intricate family dynamics, racial complexity, and the exceptional discoveries that lead to fulfillment. This is our pledge to the power of resilience and the impact of perspective. Heidi Childers-Jones is a birth worker, body worker, and strength coach based in Austin, Texas. She is a full-spectrum birth and postpartum doula, meaning she provides culturally sensitive support and advocates for all birthing people across all birthing experiences and preferences. She has studied with Birthing Advocacy, Mama Glow, and Doula Training International. Heidi's life philosophy, which carries over into all aspects of her work, is flow. It's about shifting, transforming, and being receptive and adaptable to change. What washes up, good or bad, will always wash away. She is guided by the knowledge and practices of her ancestors with strong Thai and Southeast Asian influences found in her birth and body work in an effort to keep traditions alive and respected. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me on this crisp, what day is it? Tuesday afternoon. Like, do you, do you struggle with that? I mean, I feel like even pre-pandemic, I just oftentimes forget what day of the week it is. Yeah. The thing that keeps me on track in terms of knowing what day it is, is because I have to get up so early Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so I kind of have to always know where I'm at. I can't just forget because then I won't show up for work and the gym won't open and that's not good for anybody. So eh. I feel like I can't forget either. And yet I do. <laughs> well, now I do. <laughs> I have to look at the calendar well, every day. Yeah. I mean, even just then I just like slipped well, my mind. It's like if I, if, if I have my kiddo or if the gym is closed or if it's a holiday or whatever, and now in the middle of this craziness, I will forget. Um, time does not exist, especially with a toddler. So yeah, if, if left to be, you know, without the gym, I would definitely forget what day it was, what month it was probably too. Let's rewind a bit per the woke beauty mm-hmm. podcast. Where were you born and how do you identify with that place? So I was born, technically speaking, I was born in Houston, Texas proper. Um, and I grew up in Missouri city, Texas. So for the first 16 years of my life, that's where I was born and bred. Um, and I, I, I've never really thought that much about how it's, how I d- identify with that place because I don't know. It was just, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And my upbringing was pretty I don't know, normal for me. Um, so I didn't really think about it that much until I, 
probably until I moved to Chicago. And then, you know, I moved to Chicago when I was 21. And you get asked a lot, you know, where are you from? And you start down that conversation. And then I start saying I'm from Texas and I'm from Houston, actually, you know, Houston suburb. And that, you know, people have their own pretenses about what it means to be from Texas. And then you say, oh, from Houston, Texas. And then that comes with its own subset of, (laughs) you know, stereotypes or, you know, thoughts and judgments about what that means. And then, you know, so to a Chicago person, I would explain this whole thing. And I became very proud of where I was from um, because I'm from a very uh, diverse place, I think, I feel, growing up in Missouri City. Lots of different kinds of people were growing up to where I didn't really think twice about it. You know, I just grew up with so many different kinds of people and have seen so many different things. And um, I didn't appreciate it, I guess, until I, I left and had to start defending that to people who have never been to Texas or kind of had their own thoughts and feelings about what it would be like to live here, to be from here. Um, and now, mm. now that I've returned to Austin, I really... <laughs> I struggle actually with the um, thought that maybe we should have moved to Houston and not Austin, like, because I actually identify really strongly with Houston now Um, returning to Texas. I just, I miss a bigger city that has a lot of different kinds of people in it. You know, Austin's not really known for being a super diverse place. And even like socioeconomically, it's been, kind of a struggle here in Austin in the last few years because it's more expensive to live in the city. Um, so yeah, sometimes I think maybe I should have moved to Houston where, you know, I can roll to, you know, a different part of the city and get different kinds of food and more access to, you know, an Asian grocery store, which is severely lacking down here uh, on the South side of Austin. And, you know, just little things like that, that I didn't really think about when I was growing up because it was just all there. And now I'm like, Oh man, I would really like to, to have a little sliver of that again. I like how you broke it down. Um, I feel like Houston oftentimes gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of bothers me how much we rip apart cities. Uh, Because I I think like where there is something in one city, it's typically where there isn't in another and vice versa. Mm -hmm. it's like people, like you can't get the same traits, the same energy, the same presence from everyone. And that's what makes us interesting and complex, you know? So when I think of Houston, I mean, I think it's a very different city from Austin. And I do feel like there's just more there. And not just because it's bigger, but, you know, like speaking of food, you know, here in Austin, everything is sort of blended together. You know, it's like Asian barbecue, yeah. like everything's fused yeah and all in in houston we you can get ethnic food like i can find an ethiopian restaurant in houston um i know there's one or two here but it's just different you know and so i totally know what you mean i just feel like there's more access there um it's definitely a more colorful city Mm -hmm. um it's also a concrete jungle you know so um, it's, you know, it's, it's always like, I feel like every city there's a trade-off, right. you know? Um, and I try to consider that anytime I get hard on where I live, you know? <laughs> so tell me, um, you know, people can't see you. So 
you know, they have no idea what you look like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is a component of who you are and like how you move through the world. I was getting into it recently about um, my race, like whether I'm black or biracial. And I was like, why can't I be both? You know, why, why can't those function at the same time? I just think that it's so much more layered, you know, than we oftentimes talk about it. Um, and so all of that said, what is your ethnicity and how does it contribute to how you experience motherhood specifically? Um, since that's kind of the topic of conversation today. And I'd love to know if people ever struggle or question, struggle with or question, um, your relation to Cairo or Jay, since they, you know, differ from you. Yeah. So my, man, my ethnicity. Okay. So the, the big, the big chunks uh, are, I am half Thai and half white. And within that, there's a little bit of Chinese in there. There's a little bit of what I understand to be Cherokee um, from the white side. Um, so that's also loaded with some other things, <laughs> uh, historically speaking. Um, but I'm basically Thai and white, so I'm Asian and white. Um, I think for me, and, and to people who don't know what I look like, I look... I don't know. I mean, for a long time, we were using the term like ethnically ambiguous. I think it's one of those things where people don't really know what I am. If they were to make a guess, they would probably think I was Latina of some sort. And being from Texas, that generally tends to mean I'm assumed to be Mexican or Mexican-American. I think it just depends on, you know, the person and uh, what they what they guess I am. But that's generally what I get the most. Um, and also in, you know, in Houston, despite how diverse it is there's not a lot of Thai people <laughs> um at least you know I didn't grow up around a ton of Thai people that weren't in my family and so I think for me growing up I was I struggled a lot with a with the feeling of belonging like I didn't feel like I belonged to anybody because outside of my family like I didn't see a lot of people that were like me like I'm half Asian yes but you know Southeast Asians may not look you know, East Asian, which is what a lot of people assume are, you know, what Asian people look like. And so we look a little different. We're a little bit, you know, darker skin. We have features that are slightly different. You know, my mom, who is 100% Thai, um, she looks, she also gets mistaken for being Mexican, Mexican-American as well. Um, so I think that has, that was a big part of my childhood. And I think a big part of uh, how I how Cairo to grow up and feel like he belongs to all parts of him, like all ethnicities. You know, he is, he's a kiddo who's a quarter white, a quarter Asian. And then his dad is, he's Afro-Brazilian, Afro-Puerto Rican, and black. Um, like, you know, American, you know, U.S. US black. <laughs> and so it's like, it's all these things put together. And that means so much. Like he has all these different aspects to his cultural heritage. And, and that comes with a lot. And they're, from all over the place like he can literally check every single box on the what is your ethnicity box you know what is your race box um and I had such an issue with belonging and feeling like I was I had some kind of similarity with anybody else that I grew up with that I want him to also feel like he can 
blend and be accepted by everybody. And I feel like with a lot of that, that means you have to grow up with a lot of this cultural influence. There are things that I know about, you know, being Thai, things that I understand about being Thai that were just things I grew up with. It's like smells, it's language, it's sounds, it's, you know, it's music. It's just, it's all this stuff that I didn't, I, I just grew up with it. It was just part of my environment. And that makes me feel though, like I belong when I go somewhere, when I'm in Thailand, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm with my people. I feel one with them, you know? Um, Cause they look a little bit like me, even though they know I'm Falang, which basically means I'm a foreigner. <laughs> you know, they, they know kind of that I can kind of come in. I'm, I'm one of them. Um, and with my husband, like he's been very, um, very dedicated to like the language and the culture of what it means to be Puerto Rican you know, what it means to be black, what it means to be Brazilian, you know, and, and, and there are layers to that too, right? Being Afro-Brazilian is different as well as a subset being Afro-Puerto Rican. That's, that comes with its own experiences. And so we're trying to like build this very culturally rich upbringing for Cairo. And it's really hard to balance it all. And sometimes I feel like we're maybe overloading him with like, let's listen to all the different music and all the different languages. And, um, you know, all of that, but it's just because I want so much for him to be in touch with who he is and just feel like he can, you know, he can code switch from one thing to the next to the next. And um, that's a beauty of being multiracial, I think, but it's also really hard to feel like you are authentically, you know, wholly connected to each piece in a way. Um, at least that's my experience. I, I can't speak for him, you know, and I will never be able to speak for him, but I hope at least he feels somewhat connected to every little piece of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so well said. I, uh, I totally get that. You have the ability to blend or to attach or to make people feel comfortable. And, you know, you have this blessing of like navigation, you know, like, you know, when to make a left, you know, like when to exit, you know, but then when you're alone, you're like, wait, <laughs> was that me? Yeah. I think it's just how we relate to one another. It's, it's, I mean, if, if you naturally know how to code switch, because it's just, it's just kind of who you are, how you grew up your environment, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I do it and I don't even think about it. So honestly, it's, hard to turn off because I don't know that I do it and I know my husband does it I actually see him do it which is funny because now I can pick it out I'm like man you're speaking a lot more Spanish right now you know and but again it's like who he's around and like I just I see it happen and it's like that's a skill I mean I don't yeah I don't really think it's weird and I want Cairo to have that skill too to feel comfortable um but you know it's it's kind of tricky too when we were pregnant with Cairo we were like man what is this kid gonna look like like it could, he could look like anything, you know, cause I am, I guess, medium toned, you know, I've got stereotypical like Asian hair, like, you know, pretty straight hair that's long and, you know, pretty low maintenance, I guess you could say. And Jay, you know, dark skin, he's got, you know, hair that's much curlier. And like, I'm just like, we've got very dominant traits between the two of us. Like th this is going to be a battle royale for what, what's going to win out with Kairos genetics. And, you know, I see Jay's face, but I see my coloring with Cairo mm. and the hair is somewhere kind of in the middle. Like he's got this like beautiful, you know, curly hair that kind of doesn't really know what it wants to do yet. <laughs> so we're just letting it run wild. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think 
Cairo and I, I think people see us and they're like, yeah, you too. That makes, that makes sense. I think at least with him being too, being so young right now, people might see him and Jay and not really see the connection quite as strongly. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's going to change as he gets older and his features change and things like that. Like, I don't know. Um, but sometimes I worry that like he is going to grow up, um, you know, with a strong black influence, right? Like on, from his dad's side and like learning about all these things and being um, surrounded by it in our environment here at home. And like, he, maybe he won't relate or feel like he belongs because he doesn't look the part, you know, necessarily. Um, so I think, you know, I think as, as time goes on and like, you know, there are a lot more mixed kids out there and it becomes like less of a thing, you know, that we feel like we have to talk about all the time. I feel like it'll just be whatever, but I, 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 I sometimes I'm concerned about his feeling of belonging the way that I felt because I also didn't match the stereotypical Asian look. Um, so I just don't want him to feel like on the outside, even if, you know, he knows himself, you know, it's like how he relates to others. So I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. When yeah. He gets older. It's crazy how important skin tone is to people, yeah. you know, cause that happened with my mom mm. who's white, you know, like, Oh, are they adopted or, or just no connection at all, right. you know? Right. And, you know, and then, you know, I, I've been at a bar with my mom, like sitting at a bar at a restaurant and the waitress, I'll never forget once. I don't know where we were. We were sitting in a bar and she looked at the two of us and she was like, Oh, your mother and daughter. I, I can see it perfectly in, in your daughter's face. Wow. You know, like she really looked at us Yeah, and I was so flattered. I was like, Oh my gosh, she can see my mom in me. It made me so happy wow. because so often people completely overlooked what I actually look like, mm -hmm. you know, all they saw was color. Right. I have freckles because of my dad. You know, my dad is like, white fair skinned he was red hair green eyes freckles like so I have freckles and I remember I used to like play them up just because I was like yeah we have something in common I look mostly like my mom but I do have freckles uh and that was like weirdly the only real tie I had because people wouldn't they'd see us out in public and be like there's no way these people are related and it it made me it used to make me feel really insecure about being out with him in public when I was like really young just and it like it was even an inappropriate thought for me to feel that way but I was like people must wonder about like why this grown man is here with this young kid who can't be his daughter you know what I mean and I don't know now it's, there, there's so many different options for places that could go but you know at the time I was definitely like this feels kind of weird to me um but you know and like I said Cairo has Jay's face in my opinion he has Jay's face he has his features and so you know I hope that one day yeah like we'll run to more people who are like yeah Cairo, you look like your dad, you know, just with your mom's yeah. coloring, maybe. And that's fine, you know. But I, I hope for right. the same for him that people can see him. So, yeah, I feel you. So, how do you define motherhood? How do you look at it objectively and within your own life? So I admit, I used to look at this very literally, um, as in, you know, you become a mother, that's, that's motherhood, 
all, all of that is motherhood. Um, and it was actually relatively recently, I was reading a book um, that I've recommended to numerous people now. It's called Revolutionary Mothering, and I cannot remember who wrote it or compiled it. It's basically a collection of essays <clears throat> and poetry. And it talks about motherhood and mothering as a verb versus like a noun, you know? Um, so really, you know, how do we mother others? And what does that look like? And it really has broadened my lens in terms of thinking about, you know, you can be, you, you can mother and be a mother without bearing, you know, children from your body. You know, it's, I think it's a lot more than that. And that that's kind of how I think of it now is like, it's just, it's nurturing and caring for someone, providing guidance for someone. And that can look like so many different things. Um, you know, I think along the way I first started, well, it's important to say I never saw myself as a very maternal or motherly person, you know, in the traditional sense. I just never did. For a long time, I wasn't sure if I wanted children. Um, I just wasn't sure that it was for me. Some people were really good with kids and babies, and I stunk with kids and babies. I didn't know what to do, what to say. It did not, it did not come naturally to me at all. And when I met my husband, when I met Jay, um, right off the bat, he told me, he's like, hey, I've got daughters. I've got twin daughters. Um, we're getting kind of serious or not serious. Like, I, you know, I know I like you <laughs> um, well enough to keep this going. So I just want you to know that in case that is a concern or, you know, in case that's just something you know, that's going to be a deal breaker or anything like that. And, you know, I, that was very young. God, I was 23 at the time when I met him and, um, yeah, that was unexpected. And I think along the way, it's like, I just kind of learned a little bit, you know, here and there, how to mother, how to kind of embrace motherhood, even though I didn't feel like I was a mother quite yet. I still was kind of lost. I still didn't really know how to find my footing. Um, and then, you know, you grow up with these kids and you realize it's like, Hey, it's, it's nurturing, it's loving them. It's caring for them. It's, it's guiding them. It's so much more than just bearing children, you know? Um, so that's why I think it's, it's grown to be a very broad term, um, especially now working in the birth work, uh, space, I've seen it, I've seen it in so many different forms and I've, you know, learned about it and read about it in so many different forms. It's like, man, this could just keep on going. So that's why I really like that book is because it, it really brought in my lens. Um, for me, motherhood is just, I don't even know how you define it. It's so different for everybody, for every person. There, all the experiences are so wildly different. I don't know how you can define it. Mine's been, mm -hmm. I mean, my, my personal journey with motherhood has been <laughs> humbling, but really, really rewarding. And it's, uh, it's been my biggest teacher, I think. Mm. Can you talk more about what you do and what it means to be a doula? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I do a few different things. Um, so I am a massage therapist. I'm a strength coach, but I'm, I'm also a doula. Um, and 
even this has become a point of argument, I guess, as everything is nowadays. Um, but for me, being, being a doula, so I am um, mostly a birth doula. Uh, I'm a postpartum doula as well. Um, but again, those definitions are kind of wacky depending upon who you ask. But really, for me, it's about supporting a birthing person through um, through pregnancy, through the birth of that child, um, and then transitioning into parenthood. Um, and that can take a lot of different forms, honestly. It depends on the set of circumstances, set of circumstances for that particular person. Um, whether or not they are partnered or not, um, whether or not they intend to become the, um, you know, the, the caregiver and actual like parent of that child. You know, there's, there's so many different, again, like so many different birth experiences, but, um, for me, like in my practice, it's mostly working with, um, a parent to be and educating them about, all the various things that could come up during pregnancy. It's about, you know, learning about them, their bodies, how to take care of themselves, how to nourish themselves, get really connected with who they are um, and how that changes and grows um, across the course of pregnancy and through birth and then into that, you know, parent role. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's all so different. <laughs> like, Every single set of circumstances is different. Like I've had a few yeah. clients this fall um, having babies and they're all over the map in terms of what their prep looked like, you know, what their pregnancies look like, what their birth ended up looking like, how they're doing postpartum. It's been wildly different. Um, it just goes to show like they're just, they're so individual. That's why I think working with a doula is really, um, is a really good idea is because it's like an individualized approach to pregnancy to the birth you know you're working with a single person and not just reading a bunch of blogs online trying to learn everything on your own um yeah so though everyone you work with might be different and have different circumstances you are you know an individual right like you have your own style so like what is it that you bring to the table what makes you different from another doula like what is your style? What is your philosophy? So I have really been, and I, you even know this because we've talked a lot about this just from a business standpoint is I am really somebody who's trying to embrace not the balance of things, but the harmony of, of things in that, um, you know, there's a cycle for everything. You can hold multiple things at once. You know, they don't always have to be in polar opposition to one another um, and everything. Again, there's like a cyclical nature to everything. And so my, my business, the name of my business is Flow uh, Birth and Body Work. And it's because like that element of flow is so pervasive in literally everything that I do, whether it's massage therapy, coaching, like, you know, in a gym environment or as a doula, it's like there's an ebb and flow to everything. What we're feeling right now, this is temporary. It's going to change. So let's just stay super present. Let's deal with what we're dealing with right now. Um, and then it's going to change. It's going to, you know, it's like waves. They're going to come and they're going to go. And it's, you know, you just have to learn to be nimble, to lean into things, to not be super rigid. And the funny thing is all that stuff is not stuff that came naturally to me at all. 
it's something I've really had to work on over the course of my life is how to let go and how to be okay with not being okay and how to exhibit, you know, or, or hold multiple feelings at once. Um, and so from, you know, when it comes to birth work, it's not, you know, it's knowing who you are in terms of, you know, as an individual, I have my own feelings about birth. I, I know what makes me feel comfortable. I know what doesn't make me feel comfortable. Um, and I am going to create the birth experience that I really want based around who I really am. But also at the same time, I need to not be super rigid in that. You know, we need to talk about preparing for lots of different situations. We need to be aware of lots of different outcomes and circumstances just so we can, again, move through um, certain decisions from a from a place of love and not fear right it's from a place where you can think clearly because i have a lot of information i've i've done my homework uh with my doula you know and i've i feel informed and i feel powerful and i can make this choice you know so while i'm trying to create craft this birth experience of my dreams what if that doesn't happen and that's where flow kind of takes effect right it's like okay this is the best case scenario great and now what now what if what if things don't go according to plan like how do we flow back and forth between things and just knowing that like just because you're in the crap right now doesn't mean that you will be stuck in it forever um i try to remind my new clients of that too or my not my my new parents of that it's just you know that postpartum period that newborn period is so hard i end up doing a lot of I don't know, a lot of reflection with parents who are just in it and they're tired and they're on the struggle bus, you know, with a newborn. I'm like, this is not forever. This is not necessarily forever. It just feels like it right now. You know, it, the wave is going to wash over you and it's going to be fine. Um, but I feel like that kind of flexibility and like being okay with where you are is, is what I'm really trying to drill into people. For you personally, did you experience fear during your pregnancy? Uh, I did. And I didn't like, I think my fear came from a fear of not doing enough or doing the right thing. Right. Um, because we always think there's a right thing to do and there's never really a right thing to do. There's just, you know, a decision to be made <laughs> who knows if it's right or wrong in most cases um but i was really concerned with doing everything the quote-unquote right way um and what would happen if i didn't and it was it, you know it's that same idea of like being enough doing enough and that's something i i still struggle with to this day um i you know looking back though i did i did all that was in my power to do you know i worked with a doula we did our childbirth education, you know, I, I moved a lot. I was eating pretty well. Like I had a very healthy, relatively easy pregnancy. Thank goodness. I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, but you know, in the back of your head, you're always like, ah, is there something else? Could I have done something else? Is there anything else I need to do as if you could control everything and you can't, you just can't. And that's why you have to be okay with not being okay. It's just because you can't control everything. And like I said, you know, there's no such thing in a lot of instances as the right decision. It's just the decision you make. And then now let's see what happens. Um, and so long as you're making decisions again, from a, an informed, uh, place, that's all you can do. Um, 
So, you know, yeah, we had fears, but I, I, I think I will always have a fear of not doing enough. Um, when in retrospect, it was totally fine. Yeah. So you experienced a miscarriage not that long ago, um, and you wrote about it online pretty vulnerably, you know, knowing that, you know, it's something that oftentimes goes um, silent um, for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that I think it's, it's surrounded by, um, by a lot of fear and discomfort. So, um, and obviously it's, you know, a horrific thing to experience. And I don't say that from experience myself, but just from knowing what it is and observing how it affects people. Um, so I'm actually curious more so how you arrived at a place where you felt comfortable to share and if you felt any relief or healing in that process. Um, not necessarily, you know, I, I think no matter what, that has effect on your audience and around people who read about that story. Um, because it allows them to connect to you and potentially to connect to parts of themselves or their past. I want to know what it did for you personally. Yeah, I, um, so when we got pregnant, um, the second time I, I ended up showing pretty quickly because my body was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Well, we're used to this. We're good. Um, and I also made a decision to go ahead and come out with it to people I was around and that were seeing me. So this was in the middle of the year. So obviously we were dealing with, um, a lot of physical distancing and, you know, I wasn't seeing a lot of people. Um, but I wanted to just go ahead and be open and honest with them if it came up you know, just so there wasn't like this wondering. <laughs> so I ended up telling people about the pregnancy, um, early on knowing that there's always a possibility that it won't go to full term and that it won't be a successful, you know, it won't, it won't end in the, in the birth of a, of a live baby. Um, so I knew that risk of going in. Um, I just didn't want to tiptoe around people pretending I wasn't pregnant when I was. Um, and that is a purely personal decision. Like, I don't think that that's the right decision for decision for everybody. Um, I basically tell people, you tell people when you want to tell people, you have no obligation to tell, say anything to anyone ever. Um, but I just chose to, I think a lot of that was based in the fact that I, I do work in birth. Um, so there was that, you know, I talk about birth all the time that I also kind of wanted to document like this pregnancy a little bit more openly um, as a birth worker. Um, and I also am one of the lead coaches at the gym where I coach and I coach a lot of women and I kind of saw myself as one of the leaders of that community. And I felt like this weird responsibility to be open with it. And I don't know, that makes me, that makes it sound like I had an obligation to share, which I, I didn't. I just, I felt like I wanted to use my platform to speak about something that doesn't really ever get spoken about. Um, I mean, more so now than it ever did in the past, but 
yeah, I, um, when it happened, it was, I mean, obviously it was very unexpected. Like I, I had no reason to think that there would be any issue, um, as is the case with many pregnancies. Um, and it was like the actual miscarriage itself, like the physical aspect of it was pretty traumatic, I guess, now that I look back on it. Um, and I think that really sped up my emotional processing of the whole thing. Like I, I basically, I learned about the miscarriage on a Thursday and, um, I was not with my husband when I learned about it. Um, he was actually, he had just left town. Um, so he Mm. wasn't with me. Um, and sadly, even if he had been in town, he would not have been able to accompany me to that ultrasound where I learned that there was no, uh, there was no baby there. Um, so that's a whole other conversation about being able to support your loved ones through something like this, uh, your partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, that I sat in, I sat in that muck for a few days, you know, it was, a, it was a Thursday and then I, um, actually miscarried, um, like the, the physical portion of it, um, on, on a Saturday night. And so because it was pretty traumatic and that I, I hemorrhaged at home, um, mm. I, I don't think I really got to <laughs> like sit in the muck quite as long, um, as maybe I would have otherwise. Um, but by that point I had already shared the story. I, I felt compelled to like, just be open and honest with it and say like, Hey guys, like this happens. And I really, I, I debated doing that for a couple of reasons. I, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to share it because I feel like around birth, people love to share their horror stories. Like they just, you know, if, if you tell somebody you're pregnant, they just love to tell you the worst, most scary, mm-hmm. you know, birth experience ever. And you're like, why, why are you killing my vibe with this story? Like, why are you telling me this? Cause, cause now this is seeding fear. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's an experience and that's a possibility. Like things can happen. Um, so it was, I was really just kind of torn between like, this is reality for some people. And this is a very real experience and me not wanting to contribute to fear of miscarriage. I mean, that's already on so many people's minds. That's, that's honestly, you know, why a lot of people don't share that they're pregnant until they're well out of the first trimester is because your, you know, likelihood for miscarriage goes down significantly. Um, so I, I, to- I went back and forth with that. I was like, I don't want to be planting fear in anyone's minds if they're pregnant. Like, I just, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, we need to be okay with talking about this kind of thing um, for the people who want to talk about this kind of thing. And it's not for everybody. Um, but in me sharing that story, I got so many messages, like private messages. Like, yeah, there was a lot of support, you know, comments and things like that. Um, uh, on my, you know, I think I shared mostly on Instagram. Um, there were lots of comments publicly, but privately there were so many more, um, messages of, yeah, this happened to me, you know, or this happened to me recently and I don't really know how to deal with it. I'm like having a lot of feelings about it, you know, just like they just needed to say something to someone, especially in the middle of this year when we're not 
talking to people. We're not seeing people in that same way. They just like needed to talk to someone to get it out. I mean, I had um, someone very close to me. Um, his his wife experienced a miscarriage. They experienced a miscarriage you know, together. Um, and he was processing it very differently than she was. And I think, you know, we were just kind of talking about that. And, you know, it's, it's not often I hear from the partner of someone um, who's dealing with it physically. So that was just opening up all kinds of conversations. And I was like, this is why I shared is because people needed to connect about this kind of thing. And um, I was really impressed with how many people let me move through it at my own pace and my own choosing. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that I didn't get a whole lot of uh, problem solving, <laughs> you know, like, let me fix it type of thing. There was a lot of how can I help you, which is different. And that was actually very welcome. But there was also a lot of, you know, yeah, that's really shitty. And it's really sad. And I'm so sorry, you know, and I'm here. And I, I was so appreciative of that. Um, but I think the more that we talk about this kind of thing, the more comfortable we'll be and just letting people kind of move through this. I think people want to fix the stuff um, that makes them feel uncomfortable. And we're uncomfortable talking about this because it's terribly sad and unfortunate. Um, but it's also something that we just kind of talk, we, we, we do this in private. We don't talk publicly about it. Um, so by no means do I think it's something that people should go around talking about just, you know, you know, not everybody's obligated to. I do think it's important that those of us who want to share can share and feel heard and held. Um, so I found it very, very healing um, just to see that kind of support. And someone said to me, it's like the it's like the club that no one wants to be a part of. But once you're in it, you're in it. And I'm like, ah, oh, that was so, that was so it, you know, it's like, you're, you're grateful to have people who understand are in the club with you, but you never wanted to be part of it, you know? Um, and again, you can hold both things at once. Right. Um, but yeah, I found, I found the sharing to be incredibly, incredibly healing overall. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful that you were able to get that support and that it helped you sift, you know, do you, did you know what you needed? So I, I don't think I did. I think, um, something that really helped me is being in therapy over the last year. I finally started therapy after like a decade of knowing I should probably be in therapy, but <laughs> didn't pursue it. I, I finally started going to a therapist and, um, in, in, working through some stuff with her, I did realize that the more that I put, I had to explain, I guess, my situation and my feelings and all that stuff that you do in therapy and talk therapy. Um, I was finally able to move past stuff. And I think it was literally just putting it into words for people who may not have already known me. Like I had to explain all this trauma to my therapist and talking that out, just literally putting words to it really helped me work some stuff out on my own. And so I had an inkling that I just needed to put it all into words and that would help me process. But oddly, I'm not, I'm not like a journaler. I don't, I don't journal. Like you would think that like, maybe I knew that 
writing all this stuff out would help me because I do that with everything, but I, I don't do that <laughs> actually really ever. I, I keep saying I will, but I, I haven't yet. Um, you know, I also, it's, it's been a rough year for so many reasons, obviously, but, um, I also lost my dad this summer, um, about a month before I had the miscarriage. Um, and so I was already kind of in the practice of putting my feelings into words and just kind of sitting in it for a while and processing and doing things kind of publicly. And so I don't think that the way I process this, um, comes supernaturally to me, but I think I maybe had an idea of what might be helpful. And it turns out that it was, um, Mm. yeah. How do you look at grief? How do you, process it um I think it I think it comes in waves (laughs) going back to the flow analogy um I think we just have to know that it's always going to be it's always going to be there I think to some extent the intensity maybe gets a little bit um more manageable it probably gets a little bit less intense over time. I think waves of grief come less frequently. Um, but I think it's always going to be there to some degree. You know, I mean, I, I was talking to someone today about doing this podcast and, you know, I was saying, you know, we might get into some stuff (laughs) and, you know, in a way I was like, was I worried that maybe it would get me in my feelings again and I would have like another wave of grief and, you know, maybe it will that's okay. That doesn't mean I didn't grieve it enough or correctly or completely the first go round. Um, cause it's always going to be there. I'm always going to mourn that baby that, you know, didn't stick around long enough. Um, I think yeah. we do it differently. And I've also let go of any notions of what grief is supposed to look like because, you know, I, I think we all, we all have our different, um, are different coping mechanisms. And so I, I've learned to stop poo-pooing how people grieve because <laughs> it's so, it's again, it's very individual. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get over it. Um, and that's okay. You know, I don't think I'm supposed to. Yeah. Cause that, that baby was yeah. a part of me, you know, and always will be. So, you know, it just gets hard time to time, but that's okay. Mm, that's a really good lesson. I definitely, have had uh, being a goal oriented person have had the goal. I need to let that go. I need to not go there in my head. I need to not get so nostalgic. I need to not ruminate or get stuck, Mm -hmm. you know, on that, on that trauma or that occurrence. Um, and yeah, I think that's such good advice that like, maybe it's not about not doing those things or not going there you know, maybe that's just a part of life. Maybe sometimes you will go there and then you'll come back, you know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And I feel like that's a lot of that has to do with your philosophy. You know, there's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong. You know, I think in Western culture, we are fixed Mm. in labeling and judging and it can get us all up in a tornado of madness. And I think there's something to what you said too, is like, I mean, I, I agree in that, like, you don't want to get stuck, 
you don't want to ruminate, you know? And I, and I, I definitely think there is something to that as well. You know, like the waves of grief come, but like you got, you got, you move through them, you know, you feel Mm -hmm. them, you let them wash completely over you, but you move through them. You don't get stuck in the middle of one, you know? And I think, I think just putting your head down and just going through it. I mean, that's that's why I tell people about contractions. I said, just, you're not going to get stuck in one, just go (laughs) through it, put your head down, go through it and come out the other side clean. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree though, that I, I understand not wanting to get stuck because I think that's where, that's where bad things can happen is if you get stuck on something. Um, but I really feel like if you, that's if you true. surrender to it, if you just let it happen, yeah. I, I personally think you're much less likely to get stuck. Mm-hmm. Did you know how to get support from Jay? Not for the miscarriage. I really didn't. Um, because it was so early on and yeah, so my miscarriage was, was very early. We found out at what would have been 11 weeks. Um, you know, I I feel like sometimes, and I can't speak for everybody, but you know, when, um, a pregnant person gets pregnant, um, they feel all the, all the symptoms, right? You're tired, you're maybe hormonal, you're getting weird cravings, you feel bloated, just like all the feelings, right? <laughs> and so for the birthing person, it's, it's, it's generally pretty obvious and you, you feel that pregnancy. Whereas, you know, for the people around that person, maybe the partner, you wonder at what point things become real for them. Um, And I really struggled with the fact that, you know, this baby didn't have a name, you know, we didn't know what this baby looked like, you know, it was too early to really see the belly, you know, it was, uh, you know, we weren't feeling a kick or anything, anything like that, that can kind of um, really bring it to life for the people around the pregnant person, right? So I, I wasn't sure that, like, Jay felt it the way that I did because, you know, he knew that I was pregnant, that we were pregnant, but he didn't, he didn't see the baby. He didn't touch the baby. He couldn't feel the baby kick. He couldn't, he, we hadn't actually even had, um, he never had an ultrasound. Um, so I was working with a midwife team and they asked if I wanted to go and get a dating ultrasound. I said, no, it's like, I, you know, we had few positive tests. I'm feeling all the feelings like I'm pregnant. And, you know, I was to a point. Um, so I didn't know how to connect with him and really like lean on him. It's because I wasn't sure that he was feeling it as, um, as much as I was. Um, and I, 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 after a certain point, I just had to come clean and say like, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this. And I don't know if you're sad and it's because we, we grieve differently and that's all it was. I was expecting him to grieve like I did and he doesn't. He's like, and he was grieving, but it was different for him, you know? And that's again, just reinforce the, you know, the idea that, yeah, nobody grieves the same way and you can't poo poo on somebody else's grief experience. But I think I just needed that, you know, I need, I needed to see the sadness um, because I was feeling it. Um, and I also think to him as well, like, because of the fact that the 
physical part of this miscarriage, the hemorrhaging and the, all that craziness that happened very shortly after, um, that really took precedence and that took priority over really talking about our emotions around having lost this baby. Hmm. So what's the best advice you could give someone who wants to get pregnant or start a family um, or even just explore that phase of their life? Um, How can they best take care of themselves, their minds, their bodies, their spirits, and how can they best connect with their partner through that? Oh man, I think, I think there's a lot of work to do on yourself. Like if you're somebody who is in a position to plan to get pregnant or, you know, has some forethought on this, you know, um, I think it really does help to kind of clean house, so to speak. Um, Pregnancy and birth and parenthood is like the biggest mirror it will, you will hold it up and you will see all of, all of your positive and negative character traits and flaws and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it just, it's like a highlighter. Um, so I think really doing the work, like getting to know yourself, like, who are you? You know, what are your values? You personally, what are the values that guide your life? that guide your decisions, what are your partners, what are yours together? Um, I think that's a really valuable exercise that um, Jay and I did when we were pregnant. Um, And I think we really got to know each other better in terms of like this, okay, these are my values, these are your values, these are our values as a couple. This is how we want to approach everything, right? From our conception, like our journey to conception, right? To our entire pregnancy and that's just the, the decisions we make um, about this pregnancy around the birth itself, you know, how do we stand in our values there? And then as parents, um, how do we, again, bring all that together? Um, And I think really like calling your entire life down to, you know, five or so values will force you to get really honest about what matters to you and what doesn't matter. You're like, what is just noise? (laughs) Um, And I think that's a really good exercise. Um, And I think, you know, with that exercise, you can figure out if there's anything that you need to work on, you know, the like communication, um, your connection to self, um, your health, right? Um, How you handle challenges that come your way. Like all of that, I think, boils down to a handful of values. Um, you know, obviously I, as a, as a coach, as a massage therapist, I believe that you need to show up as your, the the healthiest version of yourself, not only physically, but also spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, but like definitely physically. Um, and again, so, you know, I think just kind of adopting a lot of these habits that you want to carry forward well before you get pregnant if you have the option to do so is a good idea um you know it's you never know how long conception is going to take honestly it's like we i don't know about everybody else but i spent my whole life trying to not get pregnant but i was very fearful that when i wanted to finally get pregnant i wouldn't be able to um 
And that struggle is very real for many people close to me. So, you know, I, I don't take that lightly. The fact that we were able to get pregnant um, twice. So, you know, I, I, I say just clean house. That's the best way I can put it. Get honest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you addressed that, but that's definitely a fear of mine, you know, like, and I feel like, I think, and I, I already know the, the response because it's everyone's, but I feel like it would make me feel like less of a woman, you know, like less capable. And I think just so much of my worth, like my self-worth is attached to my health. And so, um, if my body breaks down or, or doesn't function the way that I want it to, because yeah. I, I shouldn't say the way that it should, as I should right. myself, but you know, because we're also different. Um, but so, yeah, so the way I want it to, or the way I, I would, would want it to, the, the way I would desire it to, um, then that would somehow decrease how good or worthy of a person I am, yeah. you know, and not because I'm insecure or because I don't love myself, but just because I expect only the best out of right, myself. You right, know I mean? right. And so I just feel like it would be demoralizing. I know. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you addressed that because I don't know if everyone feels that way. Um, though I, I think the feeling alone is a strong one. Yeah. So, hey, tell us what is your most recommended or most gifted or sent book, film, or podcast? Oh, this is so hard. Well, the thing is, is I, I've been reading for the last couple of years, like birth books specifically, either around my own pregnancy or around, uh, like, you know, doula studies and, and, you know, coursework and things like that. So I, I have not really been able to read for my own leisure and pleasure in so long, aside from, you know, being part of your book club, there's a plug. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I was, I was actually thinking about this earlier. Like, what would I gift someone? And it's all in the birth realm. So gosh, forgive me. I promise I have other aspects to my personality outside of birth. Um, and I think also the, this, this year has just kind of drummed up a lot of, a lot of stuff for everybody. Um, again, for a variety of reasons, but, um, I really love, I mean, I mentioned this book earlier, but Revolutionary Mothering is, uh, it seemed a little bit, it it seemed to be kind of a difficult read up front. And then the more I got into it, the more I was like, yeah, okay, this is great. (laughs) Actually, this is, um, you know, sparking a lot of reflection and thought and redefinition for me. So that was a really great read in terms of understanding mothering um, as a verb, you know, and broadening that lens. Um, on the topic of miscarriage, I just kind of wanted to mention, um, something that I felt to be very helpful. Um, this is a book that I have recommended on numerous occasions for, um, this type of scenario is, um, and it's a, I feel like it's a really, it's kind of a rough title. It's kind of a bummer. Uh, it's called Empty Cradle Broken Heart. Um, it's terribly sad for a title, but, um, it is a book about infant loss. Um, and I read it in, uh, my coursework, um, to become a doula and I read it shortly before I lost my dad and, uh, this miscarriage. And I really feel like it gave me the tools to move through that grief. Um, so 
I tend to recommend it to people who are experiencing grief and loss, not necessarily even of an, of an infant though, of a child. Um, I just think it speaks about loss in a really, or grief in a really, um, really honest way. Um, that doesn't pull any punches, but also like gives you tools and like, uh, acknowledges the ways that we grieve. Um, yeah, those, those two have come up a lot more. I have one more heavy, heavy book, um, that I think is an eye opener for people. And again, this was, I swear, these are all because of my doula training. Um, but a book that we read that is not about birth at all, but is about, um, I don't even know how to, how to sum it all up. There's so much there. Um, it's a book called Killing the Black Body. And it was incredibly eye-opening for myself as a non-Black woman um, to understand, like, the history of <sighs> injustices done to Black women's bodies. Um, I Yeah, there's just, there's a lot to that book, and it took me a long time to read. Um, you got to be ready for that kind of read, and you might need to space it out, and I I just, I couldn't, I couldn't read it all at once. Cause it's one of those books where yes, it's heavy, but also it, it, it sparks a lot of reflection. So you end up reading a little bit, putting it down, thinking on it for a while, reflecting, having a lot of feelings, maybe for a journaling kind of person journaling, if you're in therapy, you end up talking about it, you know, and then you go back to it and you read a little bit more and it's, it's just very eye opening um, about the systems that are currently in place, not only in our country, but globally as well. And it's just as a birth worker, it was really an important read for me, but also like as a citizen of this planet, it was a really important read for me too. Um, so that's one, again, I, I, I am very choosy about who I recommend it to because it's not a light casual read, <laughs> uh, by any stretch. Um, but it's a really important one, I think. Um, especially cause we're in the middle of a black maternal health crisis. So, um, it's incredibly important now. So if you could talk, and this is fresh, but if you could talk to yourself a few months ago in the summer um, after you lost your dad or more recently after your miscarriage, if you could somehow step outside of yourself, outside of your body and give yourself advice, what would you say? I think it's one that we it's it's a piece of advice that we've given ourselves a lot this year and it's okay to not be okay not everybody is ready for that but it's okay that was heidi childers jones birth worker body worker and strength coach based in austin texas you can find Heidi online at flowbirthandbody.com or follow her on Instagram at heidi.flowbirthandbody. Thank you so much for joining us. You can connect with us on Instagram at wokebeauty or me at Riley Blanks and learn more at wokebeauty.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. 
Until next time, have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful. Oh.